Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 through 16. I have preached this sermon twice before. I preached this thing in 97. How many here were in 1997 you were here? That's a handful. I preached it in 05. 05. How many were here for that service in 05 and got to hear me preach it? Good. You're going to get a rerun here. I'm going to, if you didn't get it the first time, you get it the second time. Now, if you didn't get it the second time, you're going to get it the third time. But for the sake, how many were not here and heard this sermon on being vaccinated against the truth? Raise your hand. Yeah, yes, amen. That's what I thought. Well, I want to, I want to run this by you. I think once in a while we need to be reminded of good things. Um, can you as a parent vaccinate your children against the truth? Now, we see it. All of us that have lived very long have seen the ideal family, godly family, raised in a church. Um, but for whatever reason, this is maybe one reason, there are other reasons, but this is one reason, uh, the kids are just horrible. I, I went, I've done, enough, I've done enough funerals to see, I buried grandmas, and then the kids show up, her kids show up, and, and her grandkids show up, and in some cases, even her great-grandchildren show up. One glaring funeral that comes to my mind was over Shikani. By the way, I like Bill Shikani, uh, for a mortician, that is. Just remember, when he shakes your hand, he when I realize, but uh, he's sizing you up. But uh, when I did a funeral for almost a 100-year-old woman, Born again, loved God. She loved the old songs, brother. The old songs of the faith, the hymns of the faith. She knew them, loved them, sang them. Her and I were like one. Same kind of people. See, I don't believe there's a generation gap. There's only an ideology gap. There's no gap between me and a 20-year-old. Between Thomas and I, there's no gap. If there's any gap, it's just ideology. But if his ideology is the same as my ideology, we're one. We're one. I can be 40-some-odd years older than him and say, we're one. So forget all this age, gal, you old people. It's not about you old people. It's what your ideology is. So this old girl that I buried, she loved God. I sang some of the songs she liked at the funeral. I made him endure that. And when the people were coming in, I was greeting them. So the kids come in. Her kids come in. And you could tell by the way they dressed and what was going on that they had distanced themselves some from mom. Uh, just, just, just in a quick, in a quick, and I, I don't want to go into all the details how I, how I, uh, you know, how I figured that out. But it was obvious that um, some of them weren't going to church anymore. Some of them were, were if they were, they barely attended and. Christ wasn't really number one in their life. And, and then the grandkids came in. Now, the grandkids looked like punk rockers. The grandkids, you know, had posts and tattoos all over them and crazy-looking clothes. The girls were, you couldn't get dresses any shorter. And, you know, they were in their late 20s, they were in their early 20s, the great-grandchildren, the great-great-grandchildren. They were like monsters. They came in and just destroyed the place. You know, they were undisciplined, no discipline. And because the, the, the punk rocker doesn't believe in heavy discipline on children, right? They don't have discipline themselves. 
And so as you saw the deterioration of those generations from mama, from grandma who loved God, all the way to look like Satan worshipers, I'm telling you. You say, what does looks, does looks indicate? Well, sometimes, I mean, you know, looks can tell you some stuff. I go, I always just say, if you want to know how a teenager is, go into their bedroom and look what posters they got on the wall. Look what, listen to what kind of music they're listening to. You're going to learn a whole lot about that teenager without ever talking to them about who they are and what they like. Because you, you, whoever your friends are, that's who you are. And what kind of friends you have or who you are because the ideology puts you together. So let me read here in Revelation chapter 13, familiar passage. Under the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. That is an astounding statement of Scripture. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. How does one get lukewarm? By what process? Do you get to be lukewarm? Why is it that sometimes when we see fundamental Bible believers, children reject the faith of their parents? Now, I'm not saying this is the only reason tonight, but this is definitely a possible reason why you see it. It's not the only one. These kids saw, well, you know, we, we could... We could go around and say, well, people, there are uh, people, and we've seen a deterioration in the last 25, 35 years um, in our society. We have seen prayer considered illegal, like stealing in schools, one of the main emphases in public school system, who saw the Bible become an illegal book in the United States carry the Bible around, people run from you almost, scare, you can't have that in here. Who saw, we're a group of people these last 35 years who saw the Ten Commandments banned from public view like some, you'd ban some X-rated video. Who saw modesty standards uh, go uh, dissolved to almost anything goes, uh, literally no modesty standards. Who saw students being allowed to cuss teachers and vice versa. Who, who, who witnessed public schools oftentimes becoming the most dangerous place in America. I read recently, the most dangerous place in the United States of America is a high school, public high school. Thank God you teach elementary. It's a little bit better. You probably can whip most of your kids, but it's close. But a high school, no, no, it's as dangerous, can be a dangerous place. Now, not all school districts are the same. But we have watched as educators started showing uh, in public school, public health classes, films on sex, films on homosexuality, films on transgender, pushing that agenda. Who would have dreamt? We've watched almost anything from black Muslims to witchcraft could be published in the high school papers or newspapers or clubs. But if you want a pro-Christian club, a pro-salvation club, and God forbid, a fundamental Baptist club, you're going to be looked at as harmful and offensive to others. So what, what is going on? Well, we've seen, we know, we've seen the last 35 years or so, 
a pulling away of our society, of our secular society, especially school systems, away from the things of God. Um, why are parents losing their own kids who have sacrificed, sacrificially took them out of the heathen, this heathenistic system, you know, the school system, for example, and, and, and in the 60s, we started Christian schools. I was there for that. I saw that. The public school system banned prayer in 68. Uh, on and on it went. And so the Christians said, well, we're not going to send our ch children to a place like that if they won't teach Christ, if the Bible can't be taught, if, you can't, if teachers can't speak about it, and, and if, on and on. There were many other reasons. They said, we're going to start a Christian school. So the Christian school movement blossomed in the 60s. Um, I mean, it went all over the place up to, up to this point where there are Christian schools almost in every city and every town, every little burg. But Christian schools will not guarantee your children are going to turn out right. I guarantee you. I, I talked to uh, Jim Van Gelder, and Jim said to me one time, a statement was interesting. He says, you go to a Christian school, and he said, there's a hard, cold, anti-God spirit Sometimes he said, worse than I find in the public schools when they go in the public schools. They go to both. They go to public schools and they do the war and they have some of that thing. They go to private schools. And he says, uh, I talked to uh, a music guy. I'm thinking, oh my, for his name has slipped me. I can't believe it. Hmm. That's what happens. But to this guy, you'd know him if I mentioned his name. We had him down here. He spoke at Evangelical Christian. He didn't want to speak at a Christian school. We had him for a week of meetings here at the church. He said, I really don't want to speak. He said, Christian schools, man, he said, bad spirit in a lot of these schools. I said, well, give it a shot. We'll go up here and give it a shot, right? He spoke. They, God bless, were welcoming to him and had about seven or eight young people make a decision for Christ in that Christian school. And so it was a little different than what he expected. Praise God for that. But Christian schools are no guarantee. I had, a, I had some parents here at, at, at Gospel Baptist Christian School come into my office, and they said, uh, you have failed us. I said, wow, wow, how, how have I failed you? He says, well, you said that if we put our kids in Christian school, they'd turn out. Now, I don't ever remember saying that, amen? That's a trouble with hearsay. Uh, do you have that in writing? Well, that doesn't work for us. But, if, you know, if it, it, I, I don't ever remember saying that. You put your kid in Christian, I wouldn't say it. If you, if you bring your child to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, it's still not a guarantee that child's going to accept the Christ you accepted and want to live for him like you're living for him. Uh, there's no guarantees on that. We're still free will creatures. I think Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Perfect environment, no sin nature. And the devil tempts them one time, boom, they go his way, lose everything. So if that can happen, right? I mean, if that can happen under a perfect environment with no sin nature, how much could it happen in a non-perfect environment with a sin nature? right? Well, that's a Christian school. Christian school is not a perfect environment. We have teachers that are, they love Jesus, but they can get carnal. I've seen them. I've seen them. Uh, but, but the beautiful thing about working with Christians is they'll repent of it and say, you know, I, please forgive me for being grouchy yesterday, stuff like that. And of course, you know, I have to do that once in a while. I don't know if I've ever heard Chris do that yet, but he definitely should.
What do I mean? What do I mean by losing your kids? I don't mean they quit being your kids, and I don't mean that they say Jesus didn't exist and all that. I'm not trying to say that, but um, an example would be a reluctance to surrendering to the mission field. I talked to quite a few mission board directors and mission boards, and uh, they, they said a few years ago that about half of all of our missionaries out on the field were retiring. And, we'll, you know, they're getting 70, 80 years old, unable to do the work anymore, and they're coming back to the States. And they, there wasn't anybody to replace them. Um, I often say, is the need less? No. Are there fewer Christians? No. Are the fields harder and more dangerous than they used to be? No. Is God not calling them to the mission field? Well, we believe he is. Or are simply the candidates not answering the call of God? Why? Well, maybe they have a desire for the world, the world's fashion, the world's fame, the world's fantasy, the world's finances, the world's approval, possibly because they have wrong friends, wrong heroes, wrong goals, arrogant attitudes, uh, proud, in other words, sassy, satirical about spiritual things, reluctant obedience to authority. Maybe they're into Christian rock, overall sensual dress, disrespect to the old paths and the ancient foundations. Um, I didn't mention so far one thing about smoking, drinking, cussing, acting ugly, premarital sex, gangs, thieves, or any of the other stuff. Um, I believe it's time for parents to quit settling for kids that don't participate in the grossest of sins and saying they're all right. I want my kids to be hot for God. I only had one kid. But I want my child to be hot for God. I don't want him to be lukewarm. Didn't we just read? God even says, I'd rather have you be cold or hot, but don't try to, don't try to make this thing, don't try to fit both worlds together. Don't try to fit the world and the things of God together because it's not going to work out for you. So, so we're not making the definitions, right? I mean, we read in Revelation there, God's making the definitions. He goes to one of his, his church, Church Laodicea was his church. People have been saved, born again. Well, somehow they got lukewarm. And, and they had, they had uh, they, oh, they still went to church once in a while. They still gave. They may have participated. They may even pray some. But it's done on a casual, careless uh, way rather than hot. I think God only accepts hot as the right way. Obviously, cold means you don't even go to church anymore. You're not reading your Bible. You're out. But he said, I'd rather have you like that than to come in and do this lukewarm Christianity. And I'm going somewhere with this because I'm going to talk to you about the principle of vaccination tonight a little bit. The principle of vaccination, we hear a lot lately about vaccination. Uh, I looked up vaccination, the field of immunology. Vaccines have been proven in preventing human from catching a severe case of the disease that makes up the vaccine. It's proven. Polio, tuberculosis. How many in here have polio vaccination? How many in here have tuberculosis vaccination? Yeah. Um, and don't, weren't you glad? Or you were, you were, some of you really 80-year-olds may remember it. I was five when I got vaccinated, so I, nobody asked me whether I wanted to be vaccinated, right? They took me down there, got me vaccinated down the road. But my mother was thrilled, thrilled when they came up with the polio vaccination. Because kids every summer died of polio or they were crippled for life. Yeah, brother, you're 90 years old. You remember that. You remember probably pretty well that whole deal. And tuberculosis. The, eye, the lung and all this other stuff they had. It was just a horrible disease, a 
debilitating. Of course, smallpox, don't even go into that. How many here have a smallpox vaccination? They quit doing them in 1970, 71. So everybody, all these young people do not have smallpox vaccinations. You probably don't have one. Uh, all of us old-timers do. Well, they caught the terrorists. They found their computers and found out that they wanted to rent a, rent a crop duster, put weaponized smallpox in it, and go over one of those football games and just dust the whole football game with one pass and infect everybody in there with weaponized smallpox. Trust me when I tell you, if you get on the web or you look what smallpox does to people, it's one of the most cruel, debilitating, disfiguring things I've ever seen. So nobody wants to get smallpox. I said if you had been vaccinated, you would get a light case of it. But if you hadn't been vaccinated, it could be, of course, fatal or disfiguring at the least of it. So vac Now, you may be an anavacker here. Now, I'm not. When they come up with a COVID vaccination, I'm not going to jump in there and head the line. I say, I say, let Brother Walling get it first. Let's see how it affects him. Let's see how it affects him. If he starts growing a third arm, you know, if he starts going around like this, say, no, I'm good with it. I'm good. It didn't bother me. I'm going to say, okay, yeah, you, you take that. But uh, especially when they rush it. I always like that whole line. We're going to rush a vaccination. I'm like, oh, great. Uh, but the point is when they had uh, the smallpox, it's killing people. They did rush it. I watched a two-hour movie on that, and they, they, the guy that came up with the uh, dead vaccination, they, they killed the smallpox, or not smallpox, but the polio virus, by the way, virus, and they gave it to the dead. Nobody had ever done that. Everybody else had done live vaccination. So this was like revolutionary that he did a dead vaccination, but they did it, and it worked. Later on, they came up with a live vaccination. It takes a little longer, I guess, to do the live vaccination. It came up with a live. So they had two smallpox vaccinations that worked, a live one and a dead one. And they both had very minimal side effects. And, of course, we're living proof. When's the last person you know caught polio? I'd say it's pretty successful. Worked pretty good. It can be. So it's not a bad thing, even though it gets a bad rap. Um, they take the actual disease, the virus or whatever, weaken it, sometimes put it in you, sometimes kill it, put it in you. Your body senses a foreign body. Your immune system fires up. It creates antibiotics to match and to kill that particular virus or particular whatever it is, whether it be a virus or uh, another thing. And, and it, you, you overcome it. You overcome it by having some of it. This is where I'm going. You overcome it by having some of it. This weakened disease creates a system to attack the real thing. You got it? The weakened disease creates a system to attack the real thing when it comes. I believe spiritual immunology can do the same thing. Parents that live a half-hearted, lukewarm, no risk, limited liability, safe haven type of Christianity in front of their children give them a weakened form of Christianity. Or they send them to a Christian school that does not have good standards and doesn't hold the Bible as sacred. And they get a weakened form of Christianity at the school. The kids are playing a game. 
They're showing up. They're dressing in the right clothes. They're saying the right things. But many of the kids do not have a heart for God. That's a, that, is a, that is a perfect environment to get vaccinated. Your kids may sense a group of lukewarm is what I'm talking about. People that do not have the full, real thing. The, the, the on fire, all in, uh, there's no risk we won't take for Jesus type of Christianity. People that love the Bible, read the Bible, they're all over it, they're all in, and you know who they are. When people are all in, it gives them a, a full um, version of Christianity and does not vaccinate them with a weakened version. So what happens is these kids will look at their parents, and i tell you one thing, there's nobody sharper than kids. There's nobody more perceptive than a teenager. They're super perceptive on little innuendos, on little hypocrisies. Uh, they will pick up hypocrisy. They'll pick up inconsistency. Now, now let's face it. They're critical because they got the same things. They got, they got inconsistencies. They got failures. They, but they're critical of somebody who says, I'm a born-again Christian. I live for Jesus. I love God. I go to church. I'm a deacon. I'm a pastor. I'm a this, I'm a that. And they look at them and they go, huh, what was that I saw? What, what? And they begin to, and, and then they also hear sometimes talk after services on the way home. Parent, maybe one parent talking to another one, saying, well, you know, that preacher, you know, he, he's, a little, he's a little radical. He's a little too far. He takes it a little too far. We need to pull that back a little bit and begin to weaken the truth. A weakened, compromised version of the truth will create a lukewarm individual, which then in turn is literally vaccinated against the real thing. They get where they actually hate it. They get where they want no part of it. Somehow this mediocre, lukewarm, limited liability, no-risk type of Christianity is like an inoculation. And so when the real truth comes by, that's why these guys that speak in Christian schools tell me some of the hardest places they've ever preached is a Christian school. That should not be. Christian school ought to be a welcoming place for people who love the Bible. Christian school ought to be a warm place. Let me just say a hot place for people who love the Bible, right? And a real... Now, <clears throat> I've raised a child. You've raised some children. Are there any perfect parents in the room? Say Amen. Parents are far from perfect. We're far from perfect. We fail on every hand, amen? I fail, I fail almost daily. I hate to say that. But if I don't, my wife will say something. But what, I, what, what is being hot for God is you're willing to humble yourself and admit your flaws. You know, I, I behave very poorly in front of Troy more times than I want to tell you. Poorly. I'm talking poorly. I'm talking not Christian-like. 
But I would get right with him about it. I would go to him about it and say, you know, Troy, that was wrong. That was behavior. Now, it may take me. It may take me a day, okay? It may take me a day. Sometimes I'm a slow cooker. It may take me two days to come around. But the Holy Spirit comes around and says, you know, that was wrong. You and my, Troy's seen me treat my wife the way I should not treat her. I know you're going to have a hard time believing your preacher's this way. But he's seen me yell at my wife. Harsh things. Harsh things. Of course, he never saw her do bad because she's an angel. I'll tell you what. But, you know, I just would have to get right. About, I'd have to get right for, to my wife. I'd have to get right to everybody that was there. <clears throat> I have to get right to, you know, just get right. Okay, I was wrong. That was non-Christian. And I denounce that behavior. And I do not want to be like that. That's being hot for God. What's being lukewarm is doing that and pretending it's going to be okay. And, it, well, we all have trouble. Yeah, we all have trouble. We need to get right about it. And when a kid sees hypocrisy and, or a casualness to the things of God, I think it was Bill Gothard that said one time, a child, what you do in moderation, a child will do in excess. I like that statement. He sees you, what you do in moderation, because you think you're balanced. Well, oftentimes the kid will pick it up and go, He'll go further left. In other words, you went left some, he'll go left more. Kind of like Rehoboam, you know. My dad whipped you with whips. I'm going to whip you with scorpions. The kid went farther than the dad did. He lost everything, didn't he? So what can we do? What can we do? First of all, we need to understand what it is, and it can happen, and you need to repent of your failures, of your inconsistencies. Uh, I've gotten angry. I know you have a hard, hard, you're going to have a hard time believing all this, as sweet as I really appear. But I have gotten angry and lost my temper. And uh, anger was one of my worst battles I, I had. I had a real problem with anger. I'm not going to go for a show of hands here. You may get mad. But anger is a problem, brother. It's a problem with men especially. We struggle with anger which is coupled along with lust because we're passionate. We're drivers. We're leaders. But with all of that can come some real bad things. And how to overcome anger, brother, you've got to be able to overcome anger. You show your kid an angry man. <clears throat> A brother, I'll talk about Tom Gillespie. He's not here. That's what happens when you leave. But if Tom was here, I'd talk about it. Tom was having trouble with his third girl. I will not mention her name, but you can figure it out. Stop it. Don't, don't break my heart. But uh, his third girl, she's the fourth. I can't. So he's having trouble with his third girl. He calls me on the phone. We talk about it. What can I do? He counsels some, with some people. Um, he, he flies out, I think to Missouri or something, Missouri, to meet a guy that has specializes in uh, overcoming um, relationships with, with parent-child relationships. And so Tom goes there thinking his girl's really bad. Being, she was being bad, and she was bad. 
And he took her out there thinking, well, I'm going to take her out, and he's going to tell her, well, this is what your problem is, and this is what your problem is, and that's what your problem is. So he's sitting there in the counseling thing, and the guy looks at him and says, you got a problem with anger. He tells Tom, you got a problem with anger. This is what the problem is. The underlying problem with this is why she's acting the way some, some to You know, you never take all responsibility off everybody. Come on. We all got personal responsibility. But some of the responsibility is that you're promoting this behavior in some direction by being angry. And, I, and Tom told me that took him, it was just like hitting him with a sledgehammer. Me? Angry? Me? Angry? Of course, I won't go into some reasons, but Tom struggled with anger. I struggle with anger. You got, you got to overcome stuff like that and show that there's a God in heaven. Listen, if your kid sees you're hot for God and there's a God in heaven, they want to live for Jesus. Who wouldn't? Now, there are exceptions, maybe rare exceptions to the rule, no matter how you live, they're not going to live for Jesus. That's on them. But I sure don't want to be part of vaccinating them against the truth and giving them reasons to think I'm a hypocrite or reasons to think I'm just a lukewarm, half-hearted, casual-type person for God. Man, I'm all in. I'm reading the Bible. I want to do the will of God. What he, where he leads me, I will follow. What he feeds me, I will swallow. Brother, give, give me something, I'll go for it. People in the Bible have done wrong, but repented all through the Scriptures. The only two people that I know, I may be wrong in this, but I don't think so. The only two people I know in the Old Testament that something that they didn't do wrong and some critical was said about them are Daniel and Joseph. All the rest of them people had serious trouble. The Bible, God especially, is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't favor one over another, really. He doesn't. In, in, in righteousness, he judges without respect of persons. And so he'll tell the bad of David. David, sweet psalmist of Israel, a friend of, uh, or Abraham, a friend of God, lied twice. Uh, uh, David, a sweet psalmist of Israel, man after God's own heart committed adultery and murder. I mean, he tells the raw story of what happened. What happened? How did them guys make it? They repented. It wasn't that they didn't do wrong. It wasn't that they didn't have trouble. I'm not saying, hey, live a life without trouble and your kids are going to live for God. You're going to have trouble. You're going to fail. You're going to be miserable, miserable failures from time to time. But brother, get right with God and say, Lord, forgive me. And you ask everybody around you to forgive you and mean it. <clears throat> and have a sense of humility, and they'll pick it up. They'll pick it up. They'll pick that sense of, hey, I knew my mom and dad pretty well, pretty well. And they had trouble. My dad was a boxer. My mom was a wild woman. She had a temper. Um, my dad uh, and her came out of unsaved life, got saved 33 years old. Um they, they, they struggled at getting along from time to I know you have a hard time believing that. Nobody, nobody in here ever has a fight with their wife or a fight with their husband. But they had some rows. They had some rows kept me up 2, 3 in the morning. What kept me up? They were at each other, yelling at each other, calling each other stuff. This is my mother and my dad. You know, I'm thinking, this is my mom and my dad. I was just crying, laying in bed crying about it because I felt bad for both of them. I wanted to get in there and say, shut up. But I knew he'd kill me. But I was saying, what are you doing? You're committing suicide. I mean, I'm from the outside looking in. This is stupid. 
By the way, all those arguments I heard, they were stupid. They got nothing accomplished because later they got right with God because they were born again Christians. And I knew they were, I thought, my dad, you're going to have to get right about that when he says so. I'm doing a commentary. If you're going to be awake, you might as well be on part of the deal. I said, you know, my dad, he said that. That's, that ain't going to go well. You're going to have to get right about that. Then I hear my mom say something. I said, no, man, you should be under his authority. You should respect him. Shame on you. Of course, I never told them that. <clears throat> no, I, I, I valued my life. And so, but the Holy Spirit told them that. Yeah, and so... People said to me, uh, they would, they, I would be, when I was outside the will of God, I would have young people sometimes around me, some friends and stuff, want to criticize Christianity. And I say, don't you criticize Christianity. Now, I'm doing their, their stuff. I'm drinking, smoking, doing drugs. And they say, oh, them Christians are, I said, stop. Stop. Don't you criticize Christianity. Even in my sin, I knew, I knew two people that loved God and were real and legitimate, and honest before him. And I wouldn't let anybody do it. I said, don't you say a word about being a Christian. You don't know what you're talking about. Why? Because I wasn't vaccinated against the truth. I didn't have that partial truth, that hypocritical thing laid upon me so that I eventually uh, rejected it all. It's so sad to see, so sad. Uh, But what parents do in moderation, kids will do in excess. Uh, you say, Brother Bill is a hot Christian. Well, how do you identify a hot Christian? Well, first of all, he's going to have a passion for the Bible. Have a passion for the Word of God. All the way. You're going to have a passion for lost souls. My dad went soul winning after working hard all day long. And he laid floor covering. It was hard work. And he'd, be, he'd grab these Bibles say, son, let's go out. We're going to make some visits. And he'd, I was with him many times. He led people to Christ. He was a deacon in a church. He believed in tithing. He believed in helping the local church, being there, being part of the deal. And it made me want what he wanted, what he had. I said, this is good. This is good. And a hot Christian, God loves. Wants you to hit one. Oh, he's for you. But don't you be a lukewarm Christian. Don't you vaccinate your children or anybody else against the truth. I hope it helps. Father, help us tonight. Thank you for the word of God. May Lord Jesus, that you help us to live all in, 100%. Father, forgive us where we've been hypocrites, where we have said what we did not do, or where we struggled with anger and, and, and blasphemed you by our behavior. And God, help us to be tender towards those things and overcome them as you've given us the Holy Spirit and the word of God to do it. Be with these folks tonight. I help them understand it. May old blessed Holy Spirit, you explain it like I could not. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.